1 p.m. on the East Coast. The year is flying by. It's January 4th. It is Thursday. Busy day. Thursdays are historically a very busy day for us. Yeah. We've got a lot. We have a lot of stuff we have going market on. market call. We've already, first of all, we did an off the tape. Sure, segment. we did. Then we did, that's going to drop on Monday. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting mm-hmm. on the uh, on the tape podcast. Mm-hmm. You can find that. Where can you find that guy? Favorite podcast well, store. Wherever you get your podcast. That would be either Spotify or Apple, apparently. Yeah, apparently. It's only two stores um, that have survived. That is a fact. Um, and then we're doing Market Call, and then we're going to do our On the Tape with sure. Jay Moses. That's going to drop tomorrow First morning. First one of the year. Yeah. How about that? A lot going on. And then we're going to do CNBC's Fast Money. Five o'clock. So, so, and Carter Braxton Worth will be on set yeah. for CNBC's so Fast So it's interesting. Money. You know, I just got a question from our friend Bill, uh, who's in the office here today. And he said, um, so that's a lot of talking. Um, and mm. you, know, you know what he said? So, so interestingly enough, like we're talking about different things, right? Like, like it's not yeah. like one thing after the other, after the other, we're not like talking about the same stuff. We're really trying to like, this one's very visual. We have Carter on, we're going to go through a lot of charts. We're going to talk about some trade ideas that we've been talking about, right? When we're talking about on the tape, we're thinking about a little bit longer term. We're talking about themes. We're talking about rates and what might happen. You know, so we're like catering different content for different audiences. So we're trying, that's what we're attempting to do. You want to remain relevant and fresh at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I shaved. Oh, you did that for us. Got my tie on. Yeah, you look. Anyway, great. let's look at the rundown because, as I yeah. said, we got Carter Braxton worth waiting in the wings. Yeah, Carter's going to chart the S and P five hundred, and it's good that he is because we've talked to him about it. The gaps on the downside, yeah. so we're going to see what he thinks. Third time this week, Apple downgrade. Yeah. D.A. Davidson, Barclays, and I think it was Piper, Sandler, Piper, whatever they call One themselves. One of those things. Now. One of those Pipers, now. the Pied Piper. And then shining opportunity in a lagging sector. I love that. That's an interesting plan where it's, that's a man. I see has. what he did there. Or, or she did there. Or Jacob or Steve or, or Timmy or somebody Bill. Did somebody it. did it. Anyway, yeah. very clever. No, I mean, listen, we got a lot to go over here. We got a full year. You say the year's flying by like that. Flying just because by. you've seen three red days in a row, guys. No, 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 no. no. I, by the way, um, not that anybody particularly cares. And we're going to get, we we will get into the show. Yeah. Brennan Othman is going to don the Ranger sweater tonight at home against the Chicago Blackhawks, an original six matchup. You love those. I love Othman. I love his game. He's probably proven what he can't prove anymore at the lower level. He's playing with the big boys now. And this is an absolute tryout because, as you know, Pitlick is probably out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So he's going to get ice time. You don't care. <laughs> yeah. That's not that's not. So one big Axios is talking about the one big thing that might just fall below 2% this year. Of course, it's inflation. We'll see about that. You know, I'm not convinced that's the case, but a lot of people are. You know, the thing about inflation, again, you talked about it. We talked about it, I think, at length yesterday. The fact with with Elizabeth Young, the yep. fact that they seemingly, they being the Fed, I don't want to say move the goalposts, but they went out and said, you know, maybe two and a half, and I'm paraphrasing, two and a half percent might be fine in terms of our goal. That's something that EY talked about early last year as a potential to happen that the market might champion that only to then say, wait a second, you know, maybe they're doing it because we can't reach it. We'll see, but we're just throwing it out. Well, I mean, listen, I think it's also important to recognize some differences between other periods where we've kind of modeled inflation going up precipitously and then coming down and what the Fed has had to do. Do. I mean, I think that some of the changes in the economy, okay, this time around, and specifically post-pandemic, you know, we move towards a services economy, mm-hmm. right? And you think about some of the other dynamics, like we have reshoring, we have, you know, uh, unemployment at record lows or 50-year lows. I mean, we might just have different sorts of inflation that are stickier and remain higher. And prior to the pandemic, guy, I heard you on the set of CNBC's Fast Money say this. 
time and time again is like, you know, when the Fed was dying for inflation mm-hmm. to get back up to 2%, right? There were inflation readings across healthcare, across yep. education, across these things that were much, much higher, right? So they were always looking at it wrong. And that's not, I, I don't mean like to, to kind of say that that's their problem in a way, but maybe this time going forward, that 2% doesn't really mean what no, it's it used fair. to mean. You no, know, that's you know fair. No, like, no, I, I think that's a great point. And again, they were begging for inflation when most people living in this country are saying, why are you asking for something that's yeah. clearly already here that's affecting us in our daily lives? Begging for it again, thinking that somehow they could control it when I knew there was no way they were going to be able to. And now here we are. I'm not saying they're taking a victory lap, but effectively, you know, they are combating what they wish for in the first place, which is, yeah. I find that to right, be. So, so this is know, one, this is a painful. theme. This is a theme. And I guess before we get to Carter, we start thinking about the S&P 500 a little bit. This is really important. You know, a lot of folks would tell you, oh, well, you know what? The stock market ran up so fast at the end of last year based on this pullback in yields, mm-hmm. right? And some of the inflationary data that they just thought was softer here, right? So of course we were going to sell off a bit. But another thing that's happened over the last few days or, or a week or so is that the expectations for the March okay, rate cut okay, have been pushed down a bit, right? So they've gone from 90%. I think I'm looking at the CME Fed Funds tracker here. It looks about 63%, all right? So if some of that pushback that we've had from some of these Fed speakers, all right, about um, you know, higher for longer ends up being the case. Well, then that's a shift in narrative, right? If they're calling what happened in October, November, and December the Great Fed pivot, are we, you know, are we like on the precipice of another bit of a pivot, or at least, I guess, as far as sentiment is concerned about what expectations are for rate cuts? I'm glad you brought that up because it's clear that there was there was a euphoria around the rate cut cycle for 2024, the year that we have now find ourselves in. And now seemingly that's being, I don't want to say ratcheted back, but clearly I think people are taking a second look and trying to read the tea leaves. And I'll say this, yesterday the 10-year yield, and we can pull up a TLT chart on the fly if you want. Yesterday, the 10-year yield went above 4% briefly Mm -hmm. around 10 a.m. only to fall back. Well, today as we're sitting here, 10-year yields are above 4% again, up about nine basis points. So and by the way, that's coming off. I think it got down to as low as 382 or so in the 10 year. I'm sure Carter has it exactly. You outlined a chart that was going to take advantage of exactly this move. I don't think you, th- I don't think any of us thought we'd get it this fast, but I will say that when you put it on, I think Thursday or so of last week, the days are starting to all. One of the things I said was, you know what, Dan, we just had a pretty yeah. miserable bond auction. This might happen sooner than a lot of people think, but it didn't have, but it happened a lot faster. So yeah. here we are. It's all in the context of what you're talking about. And we'll talk about yields as well. Well, that was all right. So that was predicated on the TLT. And, and Carter thought mm-hmm. that it was trading about this was last Wednesday, actually, guy. And so TLT was trading about a hundred bucks and and he thought we could see um, you know, yields rise. And this is after something that he had been calling for a move lower down to I think he nailed it, the 3.8% yeah. or something. In the 10 year. And again, this is the 20 year US Treasury ETF. So it doesn't correspond exactly, but it's close, close enough. enough. So we were looking at a uh, March of put spread of the 190 um, put spread in the TLT, and that's working out okay. We'll update that next week um, when we do it. But but again, with the yield thing, I mean, to me, it feels like everyone was convinced that we were about to get cuts because the Fed was able to do it, not because they needed to because of a weakening economy, but because they had done what they needed to do as it relates to inflation. Obviously, that was a 
huge boon for stocks. But here we are in the new year, and some of those narratives are starting to shift um, a little bit. All right, let's do it. Let's bring him in. It's his first episode 20, of Marco. 2024. There he is. Yeah. Wow, looks good. He looks great. Put that orange underneath and there. We got to give him Carter, not only have we been doing CNBC's Fast Money with you, you and Guy, probably since you started doing it. Carter, I will say, I was Carter in 06 is when I met Carter. He used to flow through that. Yeah, place. and I met him when I started doing Options Action in 2009, and you and I did that together for 10 years almost, I think. We did, we did. And then we've been doing Fast Money, but I, I just want to give you a, a new year thank you. You've been with us in what we've been doing with Rich Social Media from the get-go, yep. and we really appreciate yep. that. So Happy New Year, our main Happy man. New Year, guys. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. The, the, I, I know that you know a lot of folks, they know you as Charter Braxton Worth. You like to yeah. look at the technicals and this and that or whatever. Um, but you're also, I think, and I've said this, and Guy has said this, you are one of the keenest market minds. And, and a lot of CNBC viewers don't get to hear what you have to say about sentiment, about some of this other stuff, because you're, you're, you're talking about the charts. You're talking about a lot of the data um, that you're looking at inputs that you're arriving at some of your you know sector decisions and the like here but the sentiment shift last year was probably as sharp as we've seen in our careers in a very long time right are we on the precipice of maybe like 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 maybe i don't know like a retracement a little bit of that enthusiasm that euphoria that we saw right so there's a phenomenon known as recency right and we're all uh, to lesser or greater extent um prone to fall into it which is just whatever's going on we see more of it um, and that's the nature of actual momentum in general, you know, even back to the Newton, a body in motion stays in motion and so forth. The, uh, the thing is that um, you'll know that, for instance, uh, retail investors often uh, chase performance and mutual fund inflows. Um, they abandon funds that underperform for two years or more uh, just when those funds are about to start to improve. And they embrace funds, whether it's a dot-com peak or what have you. Uh, when uh, they've been outperforming. So that, that's what recency is. And if you think about it, on the October low, the Dow was down for the year and 10-year yields were above five and a mantra, uh, an agreed upon phrase, higher for longer, was then in the public. And so the world was seeing, well, uh, you know, higher for longer, stocks are going to be in real trouble. And then all of a sudden it just changes. And then when we go straight up in equity market from October low to the highs of just days ago and rates plunge from five plus to three, eight, all of a sudden the Fed's going to cut a hundred times, 90 times, eight times, meaning it's always this way, just extrapolating the current thing. And so sometimes that's right to do, which is to say sometimes it's right to stick with something that's a body in motion until it gets too extreme. And then it's right to take uh, the opposite point of view. And so we've had that. If you think about uh, the move in the equity market to the July 27th high was extreme. And at that point, the recency phenomenon kicked in. The market will make new highs soon. What happened? It dropped. It plunged from October to July 27th to October 27th. On the October 27th low, Dow's down for the year. The market's going lower. Rates are higher for longer. What happened? It pivoted again. And so we've got the same phenomenon yet again. We have a very steep, uncorrected move in the general equity market. And we're starting to then show some wear and tear. Most notably, the biggest stock of all at almost 7%, Apple, is on the ropes. And Apple's bigger than the entire utility sector, bigger than the entire REIT sector, bigger than the entire energy sector, um, uh, so forth and so on. And so with Apple on the ropes, you know, you have to consider this as an issue for the general market. 
It's our own, it's own asset class without question. And, yep. you know, I mentioned at the top of the show that the Rangers are calling up a young man from effectively the minor leagues. In terms of charts, Dan and I are in the minor leagues, and we're going to look at a couple of our charts. But before we do, we have a question. We have our mailbag. Look at this little graphic for 2024. Jason asks, loving the show as always, would you guys mind explaining the rationale behind using log charts? Carter speaks to this often, and I'm not clear why the log chart helps. Appreciate the response. Thank you. We got that question. We wanted to give it to you because you're best equipped to yeah, answer. Yeah. And, and Carter, before you get to that, we can actually get to a little toggling situation with you. Like, I just thought we'd use a, a long-term chart of the Shanghai composite. Okay. It kind of caught my eye this morning here. Okay. So let's look at the log. That's, okay. That's right long, there. Yeah. And you see that uptrend. And I hope you think that was a decent um, drawing that I made there as far mm -hmm. as that, that trend. And you see that it's just broken that. And let's, let's go back. Let's just kind of toggle. toggle. Look for, at that's you. that's look the at, bingo look players. Look what you there. did. Okay. So there, I mean, it's essentially the same chart, right? So talk to us, I guess, in this sure, context sure. a little bit. So some let's just let's take it back to its history. The um when I used to start the business, you bought paper and the pencil, and we would do it by hand, and there were log, you could buy logarithmic paper, and you could use just basic arithmetic, which is just simple, uh, a linear rate of progression. And the answer is that there is no correct answer. It's a preference. But I would point out that if you use an arithmetic chart for something that's had a huge move, like a Bitcoin or Apple on a 20-year basis, and it's arithmetic, the prices from long ago become almost flat. You can't see them because it's accentuating the current rate of change. Versus if you look at a long-term chart of something that's come a long way, a uh, 10, 20 bagger, you do need to put log in perspective because uh, it then will show the actual drops and pops from long ago in their proper context. Whereas a here and now chart, and the chart that you out of the Shanghai is over a two-year base, I believe, or three. 20, no, this is 20. This is 20. Right. Oh, 2020, right? Okay, so it won't no, 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 it's 20 it's years. 20 years. Oh, it's like 20 years. Okay, yeah. so in this case, very little difference. But if you were to picture the S and P, let me just do it this way: the S and P on an arithmetic chart, you can't even see the 1987 crash. You can't see it. It literally is gone. But on a mm -hmm. log chart, you'll see this substantial uh, sell-off. And so, for very long-term charts, uh, you do want to try to use logarithmic, especially things that have come a long, long way. Okay, that's a good answer there. Thank well, you. I knew he was equipped. Thanks. I knew he was equipped Thanks. to answer but, that. But it's interesting. So, so the two charts that I used, or the, uh, the Those are long term was not a good example. Well, that's it. why I said we are in the minor yes. leagues in yes. terms of you know that we said. Anyway, one thing about you your chart, notice which one fit better, and there is that too. If you look at them, that line has multiple touch points on the log chart. Yeah. Two. Right. So there is. Does it change your mind about anything? Let, let's just say you had kind of been looking at shorter term. You'd been looking at some of the sector inputs in, in the Shanghai, that sort of thing. And you were looking at a one year, that sort of thing. Would, 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 would the log or the, the error, uh, would that change anything for you on a longer term basis or no? Because there's less touch points here or no? Because it's still breaking. Um, one way or another. Right. It's, it's essentially, uh, it's essentially something that's under pressure, whether it, and you could tighten this line up and sort of connect the 2009 low and the 2000, right. Uh, sort of. I can make it wider. Low. I've been, I've been known to do that. Mm. Just kind of fatten up that line well, a little bit. You know, we call that fudging. Yeah. The same, right. The message, the takeaway. And also one could draw a line along the tops, making this 
a great and epic wedge, right, from which it is breaking down. I tried it. It didn't line up that well. Close enough. <laughs> uh, on the fly, Stephen Rapis has put together a chart of the small, the Russell, the RTY. Oh, yeah, Let's yeah. take a look at that because, again, these are sort of our Fugazi lines, Carter Braxtonworth. But this this is eerily reminiscent of a couple years ago when you had this false breakout in the Russell, if you recall, that something that you actually pointed out only then to give it back and then break back down through what se- theoretically, mm-hmm. you know, that past resistance becomes support, but now mm-hmm. we're through it. So take a look at this. Cause this is something I've been saying for a while. And you can look at an IWM chart over the last couple of years. Sure. It's going to look hauntingly similar, but sure. I have pointed out that it's very hard. I believe for these small caps to get on their horse and that we've reached this point of resistance. This is going to be a level where people are going to, the bull's going to have to prove themselves. And quite frankly, I don't think they did. Yeah. So to some extent, a bull trap, as the expression goes, where something starts to break out, draws in money, people playing and properly. So for the presumptive breakout only to then reverse. The thing that's most unusual about it, of course, is that if you were to go back and look in any rolling five, 10 year period in any number of thousands of stocks or ETFs, it's very rare to move from a 52-week low to a 52-week high in a matter of months. Uh, The S&P hasn't done that, of course, but this has because it was such a tight range for the past three years. Either way, uh, we're starting to fill one and uh, there are other gaps below, uh, I would think a little bit lower here. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, let's just look at that five year to guy's point in late 2021. We had that breakout. I think it sucked it to your point. Mm -hmm. It was a bull trap. It sucked in a lot of folks, right? They were finally saying, Carter, the market is broadening out Mm -hmm. here, right? And Mm -hmm. look at that after that long consolidation, after that huge ramp off the COVID lows and it failed and it broke out and then it led to the downside. It's the exact, see, I'm so happy they, because that's the exact move that I was, I mean, look at that move in the middle of the chart, folks, you know, you'll see consolidation, consolidation. We but we finally had this brief breakthrough to the upside. And we had the conversation with Carter. We can go back and archive it. Yeah. I remember him saying this would be a false breakout, and that's what it proved to be. But to your point, Dan, look at the subsequent move lower over the course of you know six to nine months. And then the sideways action we're seeing now, again, the potential for a false breakout. You start doing the math and you start doing the pattern recognition. It leads one to believe that maybe now we take the next leg. Yeah. And and just one other point here. So if the S and P rallied 16% off its October 27th low, right. From, from intraday low to intraday high um, just a week ago or so, you know, the, the Russell 2000 rallied 27%. Okay. Now you could say it was massively underperforming, but to guy or to, to Carter's point about going from 52 week and multi-year lows to new 52 week highs. The idea was that lower rates was going to be good for these companies that make up this index. Right. So to to Carter's point, when he came in, the inverse would also be true, right? If rates were to stay to 4% or get to four and a quarter or something like that. And so I actually think the Russell screwed either way, because if rates were to actually stay higher for longer in a stagflationary environment, not good for these companies that are capital constrained and their cost mm-hmm. of capital is higher. And then the flip side, if rates actually do go, let's say from 4% here to three and a quarter percent, and they do that in front of what the Fed is going to do with Fed funds, because it's a reflection actually potentially of weaker than expected growth, then the Russell screwed too. Like, like, so to me, I don't think this is a particularly attractive asset class right here. And the other point I'll just say is Carter, you were mentioning, you know, the $3 trillion um, Apple, you know, which is down 5% so far this year is bigger than the entire Russell 2000. 
Right. I mean, and this is what concentration. Look, I mean, the thing, a couple of things, the concentration markets are always concentrated or said differently. Markets have a way of sorting out winners and losers. Uh, so does life. Right. And we all remember when you're picked towards the beginning of the picking for baseball or whatever. And then as you get older, you're not on, you're not the captain. And then you're not making college sport. The point is life weeds out winners and losers. The local hardware store does get beaten by Home Depot. You know, Walmart does move out and, and, and blow away the little general store. Winners win and people who are weaker, things that are weaker. It's just like the watch a nature show. And so markets are always contrary. Over the last 50 years, the top 10 stocks on average have come in at a 20% weight. The problem so is funny, now, you know, I want to say something now. real quick. You know, Carter talks about winners win. It reminds me of a scene in the movie The Rock when Nicolas Cage was explaining to Sean Connery yeah. how he's and Sean Connery basically said something about going home and doing something to the prom queen. Yeah. I won't get into it. No, we can put it don't. in the show notes. Yeah. Well, anyhow. That, that's, yeah, you can, go, I mean, you can go to the YouTube. And, well, you can go to the that. YouTube, but yeah. Carter's point is well taken. Great movie. That was like one I of think it's Brock an underrated movie. You know why uh, I say that? Because Ed Harris. Yeah. Ed Harris is one of those He's people good. that could read the phone book, and yeah. I will be sort of mesmerized by it. 100. Um, all right, Carter, we spent some time on the small caps. Let's look at their uh, sure. large cap brethren here, because you had a note out on worth charting here. Guy talked about some of the unfilled gaps. I think your charts are simple enough. You just said it, steep, uncorrected uh, move off those lows. And it seemed like everybody was in, and everybody had it, you know, like like December, the fix was in, come, come mid-December. Let's mark this thing up as high as possible into your end. Right. So, uh, and we can, and we can uh, look at the, the October low, you're hearing higher for longer, rates are at 5%, something's wrong. All of a sudden, that's all reverses, higher for longer is disappeared from the vernacular, and rates drop from 5% to 3.8, and stock market takes off, and now it's the reverse. They're going to cut and cut and cut, and uh, the stocks will go higher and higher and higher. You start to see Wall Street throwing in the towel, capitulating five, seven strategists upping their price target. It's just the way it is. It's what recency is. And now, just as all that's happening, um, we're starting to pivot the other way. How much can you draw down? I mean, what allows uh, an ongoing effort to continue at the gym or in the library is the time when you get up from the desk rub your eyes and go have a coffee. So then you can study more or you pull back from the bench press and have some water and uh, take a uh, call from a friend. Then you do your next one. It's only because of the breaks that you can go higher. If you're bullish, you want this to dip. If you're bearish, you want this to dip because you think it's going to dip more. But either way, at a minimum, let's draw some lines. We have, uh, we've broken trend. Now those arrows I have there, those are not random. Look at the next chart. And that would take us to the highs of July. And is that a lot? It's nothing. Take a look. If, that would be down 2.7 from where we are now. And from the peak of final iteration, it would be a 4%. I mean, 4%? That's nothing. And that would, um, at, it would either be, uh, the bull would say that's about where it'll stop. It's into support. And the bear would say, you ain't seen nothing yet. I look at this and, you know, I hearken back to, I think it was November or something, you know, it was whenever NVIDIA was reporting, I think they were off cycle and I yeah. forget the exact day it was, doesn't matter. But one of the things that we talked about with you was there was a potential for the market, the S&P to fill the last unfilled gap to the upside into NVIDIA earnings and then subsequently exhaust itself to a certain extent. 
Carter. That's sort of what happened. Now, it happened for odd ways because, quite frankly, when NVIDIA reported, stock actually went lower. Yeah. And But the S&P continued. So I thought a lot of this could take place around that. So it's played out to a certain extent. The overshoot has surprised me without question. But it doesn't take away from the fact, Dan, that you still have a number of these unfilled gaps well, on the downside. And by the way, you know, not to get too, but there have been a couple NVIDIA downgrades over the last week or so. Yeah, yeah and it's interesting. I, I think it speaks to what Guy's saying. So there was no 21, right, when uh, NVIDIA mm -hmm. reported. And the fact that it has not made a new high since then, it's been grinding. I mean, it does speak to the fact that there was a broadening out into some other sectors. You saw the uh, outperformance of the Russell 2000, and we saw some of the laggards um, of some of the best love stories of 2023 catch some steam um, in that last month of the year. But, you know, to pulling up the SPX chart, just pull up a live uh, one-year chart, if you will, because Carter just outlined the fact. So if you got back to the July high, 4,600, you can look to that November 13th gap. That was the day of that October CPI reading. Yep. You see the gap right there. I mean, that would be an 8% peak to trough decline, Carter. So speak to the fact that 4% is your kind of intermediate term pullback that you think for bulls and bears would be perfectly healthy. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what do you think of the chances of a pullback? Like, and I just want to make one other point. So maybe I can look at Carter for a second here too, because I love, um, of, of seeing his, uh, there, there he is. Hey buddy. Um, you know, like, I think what's going on today with Mobileye is really interesting. Okay, so here we are. It's the third trading day of the year. The company pre-announces the stock's down 25%. This is a stock, MBLY, if these guys want to pull it up really quickly. And it was range-bound, right, um, over the last year or so, <coughs> but performing decently. I think as we get into Q4 earnings season, I think everybody and their mother, whether you were looking at the broad market or individual stocks that you held, had reasons to mark things up and keep mm -hmm. them up into year end. Okay. And what are we seeing in some of the most loved, you know, cherished names from last year, the biggest outperformers, they got hit harder than the broad market this year. Well, if you have a fundamental reason to sell a stock because the company just told you that their prior outlook is not going to be achievable. And then they lower that outlook for going forward. And you were holding on for dear life. That's how you get a situation with mobile. I don't know if you guys can see it down there. You see that little white line in the bottom, you right? Can, you That's can lose that. I mean, you could just look at this chart and say, wait a second, it's not a big deal. Look on the bottom, right? That's where the stock is right. trading so now. That, that's kind of so. My point, Carter, and help me make some sense of that because I know I'm speaking, you know, uh, about two different things, but the psychology is kind of similar. And I guess the point is to have these kind of massive disconnects, like a 25% gap. It needs to be predicated on some sort of fundamental news, if you will. And I just think the psychology is not too different about holding things into the new year, waiting to take the winner and not pay tax on it last year, and and then if you have an opportunity to get out down two or three percent like you might have been able to do in some of these big tech names or five percent in apple say who cares it was up 50 percent last year but if you have a reason to sell it because the company told you something negative everybody heads for the door at the same time that's right and so you'll have a, a tenfold increase in volume on a day like today if not more and then um a good technique and and, and specifically as opposed to long only mutual fund, uh, hedge funds move quickly. That's the nature of the game. They say, listen, it's wrong. Let's get out of here. And they're willing to sell down at almost any price and often chase something up because um, re-ratings, lower or higher, often have follow-through. But we're, there are others today. Look at Apache, uh, a big energy name, APA. Mm -hmm. You might have a chart of that as well. But um, you know, a, a lot will be determined uh, by this uh, earnings. The lowest most gap at least for now, and the S&P comes into play at, at, at 3980. 
And so that would be a full 15% lower. There's the patchy dropping and gapping today. Um, but I do think that the unfilled gaps of 2023 uh, are very much a reality um, for the market. Let's take a look at our NASDAQ chart. Pretty steep uptrend line that we drew. I'm not suggesting it's right by any stretch of the imagination, but we drew it because why not? But, you know, what I look at here, Carter, is the fact that the moving average has provided both resistance to the upside and support to the downside. And if you look as recently as, I guess, October, you'll see we bounced precisely off that. And we're going to show you an Apple chart, which pretty much in terms of that level, that's what it did in Apple as well, traded right down to it. You see the Apple chart. We traded down the moving average and bounced. Now we're at the moving average. So go back to the NASDAQ chart. Is it safe to assume that it's just, you know, as you get a standard deviation or two away from the mean, the mean being the moving average, it stands to reason over periods of time, you see these retracements. Yeah, that's the nature of something getting overdone. Again, it's you do any more bench pressing here, you're going to blow out your shoulder. You, you've been sitting at that desk for seven hours. Do you want to get up and walk around or you think you want to hurt your back and your eyes by not ever moving? Point is, any endeavor, any effort, any undertaking that is uh, gets to be overdone to the downside, we know you get violent bounces in the market or to the upside, um, at some point, it's exhaustion and uh, the overbought, oversold, whether you use an oscillator or, or other approach, uh, start to suggest that a counter trend is likely. And so we're getting just that now. And while two, three days um, is pretty uh, nascent, uh, I think there's every uh, possibility that we're going you know, considerably lower here, which, again, if you're bullish, you want that. You don't yeah. want to just go higher and higher because if you really go higher and higher and get extended the way uh, the dot-com stocks did or Tesla did or Bitcoin did, you know what happens? Then you crash. Yeah. You know, you know it's interesting, Carter. I just um, – maybe these guys could pull up a Microsoft chart and just, you know um, – you know, I, I to see how far above the NASDAQ 100 is above its, that's a 200 day. We know you like to look at mm -hmm. 150 day. Uh, it, it's really the same thing. If they throw in the 200 day here, I mean, Microsoft has done this amazing consolidation, mm -hmm. has not made a new high with the NDX or the S&P has approached a new high, which I think is interesting. But that consolidation, given how much the stock gained last year and how much of the enthusiasm in and around, you know, um, the Gen AI and everything like that is pretty remarkable. So when you see a stock like Apple, which is three trillion, you see Microsoft, which is nearly three trillion. The two of them make up what I think like twenty percent plus or something like that of the NDX. You say to yourself, okay, if Microsoft joins the party to the downside, the NDX is going back towards its two hundred or one fifty. Right, uh, for sure, the consolidation is good. I would invite you if you put the one fifty on, check out where it stops in October. Try that. Watch it now, two hundred. Right below, yeah. No, watch it. It's there you go. It to the penny, whereas the last chart had the 200 down here. Um, the question is, is the consolidation the same as a sell-off, right? So that if you're steep and uncorrected, you work that off by price or time. Price is down, time is sideways. They both are trying to do the same thing, which is it's overdone. And so you either give back some or you rest and go sideways, which if you were to put an oscillator on here, you'll see that it, uh, any oscillator, if you do RSI or, or MACD, it's turned down. So you're working off the overbought condition by time. Mm -hmm. uh, either way, compared to Apple, I, I would much prefer Microsoft. 
You brought some comparative charts, and that was one of the teases uh, in our rundown earlier in the show, beginning of the show. So let's take a look at your two-year comparative chart. You're looking at gold miners versus semis, which I just love. Um, it's well, it's not. So, and I might have mislabeled it, but if I did, but so it's the Philadelphia uh, Gold and Silver. Oh, I'm index. sorry. I apologize. My bad. Yeah. I I said that incorrectly. You, it you is know, right. Because well, you saw the Philly GDX. thing. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. I, I did that just the other day, and it was like the person said. But anyway, I, the point of this report was to to start out by showing that if one wants to express a view, the GDX is basically 100% correlated to the very famous, long-standing Philadelphia Stock Exchange Gold and Silver Index, which dates back to 1979. The, the GDX doesn't have that history. But to show you on a two-year or a 10-year, I think was the next comparative chart, that one captures the theme perfectly through the GDX. And now, <laughs> I believe we have other charts here, but the GDX, gold miners, do you know that the Philadelphia gold and uh, silver index is the same level it was essentially in 1980? I mean, it's basically a bad business, right? You got to dig a deep hole. You got to get down in there. Guys die. You maybe find the gold. Maybe you don't. It's highly capital intensive. It's energy intensive. Um, but if we draw some lines, and let's do that, a couple iterations, Look, uh, do we have to get resolved as the green arrows imply? No, but another way to draw the lines and yet another way, uh, if you look at this next iteration, I think that's what's uh, ahead. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is look how far off we are from the highs of just a year or so ago. We're trading in the 30s and that's up at 42. And that therein is the, either the problem or the opportunity. Let's right. look at some ratio charts. So this is GDX which is, of course, equities, stocks, compared to all stocks, SPY. Um, this has been going on since 2015. Let's put some lines in, and it just keeps holding. And so while that's hardly bullish, at some point, the fact that it just won't reach that level, um, almost 10 years here, bouncing along the low, um, uh, as Apple starts to crack and some of these other high flyers, my hunch is that this is an alpha uh, proposition in uh, 2024. Now, this is gold stocks relative to all stocks. What about gold stocks relative to gold? And let's look at that. On a 10-year basis, the Philadelphia gold and silver index of gold and silver miners is dead even with gold bullion. But look at the all data chart. And this is either the opportunity or the problem. One could say, there's the problem, Carter. This stuff is terrible. Unchanged for 40 years, even as the underlying commodity is making all-time highs, that tells you how bad this is. Or uh, an equally valid interpretation is the earnings will start coming through. That these that because of the uh, cost of the metal, uh, cost to produce, and the cost of the ability to sell it, that you're going to get massive pops on earnings. We shall yeah, I'm, see. Glad, I'm glad you brought that chart because what it speaks to to me is p participants that have gotten themselves long mining stocks, gold mining stocks, have been burned so many times by the underlying commodity fizzling out. And the, the stocks never perform ne nowhere near as well as the underlying commodity. So people said, you know what? Until gold proves itself, I'm just staying out of the game. I think gold has been proving itself. I think it will continue, Carter. And I think that's going to be the point where it's sort of Katie bar the door. These sort of mining stocks are going to be off to the races. So I think it resolves itself not with gold coming down, but with the mining stocks 
going higher. That's just my two cents, Dan. Yeah, no, and you've you've been actually pinging this space a lot. And I know you like the miners, and that's one that we're going to keep an eye on too, especially looking for opportunities. At, you know, as we do see money rotate out of, let's say, some of the biggest winners of last year, uh, despite the fact that gold did pretty well last year. Carter, before we let you go, we really appreciate you going OT with us. Um, <clears throat> I want to hit JP Morgan here today, really quickly, yeah, just on, on a one-year <laughs> chart, one thirty-five to one seventy-two. It feels like a straight line here. Maybe we can toggle back and forth a little bit. You see that uncorrected. I, I get it. You could say the same thing that you said about the S&P or anything like that. Let's look at a, a, a multi-year chart here because Guy's been highlighting this a little bit. We talked about it yesterday. My my point, and I think I said, I think Carter would say this, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but getting back to that level in a straight line in such a short period of time versus getting to that level after really a back and fill, back and fill for months and months and months in 2021 are very different propositions. So I'm just curious your quick take on JP Morgan here playing for a breakout, which some folks like to do. We could have drawn a, a double top line there. You know what I mean? Sure. But what, what is the what is the likelihood of a, a new range being established with some authority here? Right. So let's take Costco, which did just that, right? It got to the former high and blew out. But What's important about this is there's nothing idiosyncratic about it or specific. It has the same low as the S&P. It's straight up since. And its angle, while peculiar, is no different than the angle you saw in home builders. Home builders went up 40, 42%. The KRE up 42 And so JP Morgan's move uh, isn't even as much as that. But my hunch is to fade it, uh, despite its popularity. It's just, if we go back to the even the shorter term, a chart and the line you've drawn. It's it's the lack of variance. It's it's almost as though someone fell asleep with their elbow on the buy button. It, it just there's no debate anymore. Everyone's in agreement, and usually when everyone's in agreement on something, it's start. It's time to start to. You, you know. And you know what's really interesting, <clears throat> and this is putting our OA hat on guy a little mm. bit. Is like implied volatility, short dated, and again they're going to report. I think next Friday. So like you know, banks get you know Q4 earnings season kicked up. It's actually been moving higher. Now you would expect it to be moving higher into earnings in general, right? And the VIX is up a little bit here with the market down, but this thing is acting contra, right? So what I'm saying is, is I think that folks who are own this thing and it's gained 27% in two and a half months or so now it's a half a trillion dollar market cap. Okay. Like again, the greatest um, it's ever been, you know, the risk rises a little bit. hundred percent. And you talk about a quarter where they absolutely need to acquit themselves better than maybe any time in their history in terms of where the stock is and the environment that we find ourselves in. So yeah. you better be hoping they pull rabbit out of the hat. And I'm hard pressed to believe that's going to happen given some of the commentary we've heard from their CEO and Jamie Dimon. Yeah. And just real quickly. So the implied, the spread between implied volatility, the price of options on a short dated basis versus uh, realized volatility, how much it's been moving is 11 is realized and 21 is implied. Okay. So it's a pretty wide spread that you don't see particularly often. And the last time we saw that sort of spread was in September and the stock was trading, you know, at, at levels, not anywhere near where it is right now. And again, it was signaling fear a little bit. All right. Last question before we let you go. And then we got to do butters. Um, Doug Cass, good friend, real money. Um, he asked about Google, and maybe we could throw up a one year of Google. And this stock has actually acted fairly well relative mm -hmm. to many of its mega cap peers on a relative basis, but it's stuck here a little bit. There's your 150 day Carter. Thoughts here because we highlighted this one earlier in the week on a valuation mm -hmm. basis relative to some of its peers. And you could say the same thing maybe as you did about Microsoft that over time it's 
correcting a little bit. But the one point I want to make that's really different, you see that gap, okay, from October, it had a 9% gap on earnings. And just maybe this relative underperformance speaks to the fact if they are, don't, if they guide lower, the stock's got another gap into it. And it's really then turning over at this point. Curious on this one. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? It's it's both um, good consolidation, but because of the drop in gap, it, it really can also be interpreted as the stall before the storm. And so and, and neither is clear at this point. I would just uh, listen to the market. Listen, any weakness from here starts to tilt it in favor of that it's going to roll just as strength. So sometimes you're just uh, in no man's land pair twos. And I would say that's what this is, which is say you don't bet big. Information that comes along that changes the hand, different card, or someone else's different card, then helps you inform your decision. So I would literally do that. Uh, I would respond to price action. Uh, if we- weakness from here would make me want to be short, strength, and that sounds almost so elemental as be stupid. Sometimes that's all it is. Just be a linebacker, react to the ball. Love that. Keep your head on a swivel, react to the ball. Carter, you do that extraordinarily well. We will see you on Fast Money tonight. Thanks for sticking around OT with us. Before we get to Butters, by the way, if Amanda, Steven, and or Jacob can pull up that uh, Doug Cass tweet about the Druckenmiller indicator, the recession proxy, and I know I'm asking you to do this on the fly, so I'll give it a minute, but it basically speaks about performance of the cyclicals versus the S&P 500. And we're at levels in terms of that indicator that we haven't seen in about 24 years, to be exact, I want to say 1999. And each time it's gotten to sort of extended to the downside, it's been the prelude to something bad, a recession in the economy. I generally avoid that word, but clearly a downturn. And Doug is quick to point this out and correct because so many people are talking about the rotation in the cyclicals and how that augurs particularly well. Now, there might be a rotation going on, but it doesn't necessarily mean it should be going on. And quite frankly, this is just one of many things that I've been looking at um, that say to myself, you know, things are not great. The market looks great, but things below the surface aren't particularly yeah. good. And, and again, you know, you and I, we show up every day, whether it's here on the tape, uh, CNBC, Fast Money, we're asked the, the question all the time. What do you think of the market? The last time I heard Druckenmiller speak, um, it was on November 1st. I think it was on CNBC's uh, Squawk and Friends. Um, and he said by some point in Q1, he thought the U.S. was going to be in a recession. And, and again, so he gets to speak once a quarter. He's a famed billionaire um, investor. And there's a lot more weight put on what he says rather than what we're saying as we're calling it the way we see it on a day-to-day basis. We're not economists. We're not strategists and the like here. But I do think that's interesting that there's a lot of the billionaire investor class who are kind of in that camp, if you Paul will. Paul Tudor Jones yeah. has made similar, Jamie. I mean, we, yeah. there is a laundry list of people that have grown very concerned about what's going on. But, you know, these numbers, we don't make these numbers up. Nope. And we'll put it this, we'll put this in the show notes so people can yeah. take a look at it. So if it's Thursday, it's butters. And I let you do this because we want to keep it clean. Yeah, we the, do. Well, you we like that. Let, well, well, you could do it and then we'll clip it. So, All right, ready? Here yeah, we go. Yeah. You know what today is? It's Thursday. So what does that mean? That's butters. If it's Thursday, it ain't margarine. Yeah. 
It's butters, bitch. All right. So people here, just that's on your somebody just got yelled up bingo. No, anyway, they're, they're psyched here. But here's the cool thing, right? So it's Thursday. It's market He's call. Back, by the way. Our fine sponsor fact set okay they give us a preview of john butters he's the senior earnings insight analyst over there at fact set he drops a blog every friday morning it's called earnings insight mm. you can get that in your inbox so so check it out people but you know this is a really important one and i love butters work every friday but i specifically like it as we work into q4 earnings season or any earnings season for that matter because the data um, is really important here so we're looking at analysts and what they're doing to their estimates in front of earnings season analysts cut earnings estimates for s p 500 companies for q4 2023 by 6.8 percent in aggregate during the quarter so over the course of the quarter this decline is larger than the five-year average the 10-year average and the 15-year average and obviously the 20-year average not obviously but also the 20-year average average i might have just write, written that a little differently mm, a little bit that's fine I, you know i mean we're if we're playing one of those you know, game shows it's like there, an sat bit, thing yeah okay in fact this is the largest decline in the quarterly eps estimate since q3 of 2022 which was also um 6.8 percent guy what does that say to you that analysts are following whatever data that they are lower they don't like to be surprised when the companies finally report right and guide here um but it's also they're taking inputs they're looking at other companies that are reporting off quarter that are peers they're looking at their suppliers they're looking at economic data a whole host of things right i think it's well and this is my opinion it's a realization that some of the lofty expectations are and it's just yeah. this it's mathematically going to be extraordinarily difficult for them to come to fruition so i think that's what we're seeing now to your point they're taking in these inputs and they're adjusting accordingly what hasn't been adjusted accordingly, though, I think, is the way the markets participated on the back of it. Yeah. Again, just my my interpretation and my sort of sense about things. Yeah. So one of the things that we talked a lot about last year when we were looking at this sort of data from Butters on a quarterly basis is that, you know, you did have a one quarter in, in 2022 where, you know, they were down, you know, nearly 7% over the course of the quarter there. And, you know, when I think about that sort of activity, I think about what sort of visibility do companies have how are they guiding and we know that post covid a lot of companies did away mm -hmm. with guidance which makes i think they analyst should. jobs but it makes analyst jobs that much harder i actually don't think they should i think as much transparency as well, possible if, but, is helpful so okay fair enough but, but if, they, if they're going to get you know destroyed when they miss that, that like, that's the other and it's side. how the clarity that you need to i mean there's some companies that have clarity based on recurring revenue and those types of things so i understand there are a lot of companies out there that are basically licking their finger and putting up in the air. Yeah. And I think they've gotten away from that game. So I understand what you're saying. My pushback would be, I don't think we've had the environment where people should be making year-long prognostications on things that they really have no control over. Yeah, but if you think there's a variance in in a lot of these mature companies, their businesses that you know, like I, you know, I, I'm just saying as an investor, I think you'd want as much um, if you know, they have clarity it. as possible. And 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 then listen, you know, like you know, Amazon's a great example of a company that used to like you could drive a, like a, a bus well, through the, the so guidance what, that they used to give. So what's the point? But the point was, and then Apple was a company that supposedly sandbagged all the time. Right. So you just start developing your own way Fair of enough. reading the tea if leaves a little bit. You're saying that you can then game it based. I'd rather on have it than not have it. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, that's my two cents. All right, let's look at some the sector stuff that Butters has here. Nine sectors saw EPS estimates declining during the fourth quarter, led by healthcare and materials. On the other hand, utilities and technology were the only sectors to see EPS increases. Now, this is interesting to me, guy. All right. So for 
all of calendar year 2024 mm-hmm. analysts only lowered EPS estimates by 1.2% in the fourth quarter. Now, I think Butters had a report out a few weeks ago that estimates are still for 11% year-over-year EPS growth in 2024. Talk to me really quickly about the sector changes that we saw on the quarter. Well, it's, it's, you know, healthcare sticks out like a sore. I mean, again, you know, it goes back to the same thing, materials and healthcare. It's like, it's seemingly, those are names that we talked about all year. So it's interesting to see that earnings estimates have been declining there. We'll see. So that's what I take. The flip side of that, utilities obviously had an abysmal year. So there's a lot to glean from this. But the bottom one, that bottom bullet point, analysts only lowered estimates for 2024 by 1.2% during the fourth quarter. That has to get ratcheted way back, I think, in the first quarter of this year and into the second quarter. And that's going to be the rub for the S&P 500. Yeah. Well, again, it's going to play. I think we're going to get so much. Listen, I hope we get lots of guidance as we get into Q4 earnings, because I think it'll kind of give some clarity about how high that calendar year 2024 EPS consensus is uh, for the S&P 500. And it may give us a sense of like where exactly, what is the appropriate multiple if you think about, Mm -hmm. okay, if tech is still expected to be higher this year, if we start getting some big tech disappointments, that's why I wanted to highlight that Google. And I think it's also interesting why Apple, which is obviously a huge contributor, S&P 500 earnings has had three downgrades there. So sentiment is important and how analysts are positioning in front of the quarters is really important. So thank you, John Butters. Thanks to earnings insight and obviously fact set. And we got a little, we got a little, we got something to preview for next week. Go. No, we got, we got Butters. Butters is going to be on the market call with us live. Stop it. Yeah. We got him next week. I think it's on Tuesday on the ninth. So tune in for that. That's going to be exciting. He loves coming on. And we probably talk about his trip. He was like in Michigan or something. Why do you always say that? You think he's like a Midwesterner. He's from Massachusetts. Yeah. He doesn't go to Michigan. No. Why does that in my head? Though? I don't know. I, I, I bet don't. you went to Michigan. Anyway, that's it. By the way, I mentioned Brendan Othman. I'll mention it again. Yeah, you should do. In what time is it? In less about five hours from now, you'll be seeing him at Madison Square Garden against one of the high, highest outed rookies probably since Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid. This Bedard kid in Chicago is a stud. He's yeah, like 19 he's years old. I mean, it's ridiculous. Dumb man. But the Rangers coming off a really shitty performance the other night against Carolina. I think you're going to see them. They'll be refocused tonight. I would not want to be wearing a Chicago Blackhawk jersey tonight. No. All right. There you go. go. By the way, good job by the Mets. They signed uh, the kid that was a uh, the the what's his name the. The hater kid with the, the the center fielder that the Yankees discarded. Oh, really? For you, you seven Met fans out there, you suck. The the seven, just the seven of them. Knicks had a huge win last night yeah. on national television. How about that? Eight o'clock start. They throttled the Bulls. Now the Bulls aren't a vintage Bulls team, no. clearly, but you see what's happening with this Nick team coming off that trade. The pieces are starting to fit. And there's still one move left to be made. Anyway, that's it. Guy from Morristown. I want to that, thank that's how you are known. I'll call. I haven't called the guys Why in a while. You're not called in. It's Boomer and Geo. Be- yeah, I like Boomer to call when I have something to say. Carden or Boomer and Geo? No, Boomer and Geo. Geo. They're my guys. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's thank you, call. Butters. Thank you, Carter Braxton Worth. Yep. Thank you to the audience for participating. We're going to do more of that Q&A stuff. This yeah, was we on. Are. We went long. I'm sorry, Amanda. But we will see you. Not tomorrow. But we'll see you on Monday. See you on Monday. Thanks, Later. everyone. Bye.